Greetings, uh, fellow listeners of the Anaheim SDA Church here in Southern California. This is your host, Pastor Assis, and I'm here once again to talk to you about the Book of Psalms since the Sabbath School quarter. Um, the first one of this year is focusing on that particular book, a really important book of the uh, Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, and we have been pondering on some of these uh, beautiful poems, hymns, prayers um, throughout the past few weeks. And today we are talking about one specific psalm. Uh, it is Psalm 29, a psalm that is uh, very dear to my heart. And with the idea that was discussed in the lesson as the Lord reigns, the sovereignty of, of God. And as usual, we spent some time talking about the text, text in its original context, it, as it was originally written, uh, different culture, different um, language, a long time ago. And so trying to make sense of the text in that uh, world. And then we move to an application uh, and finally as uh, praying that psalm. So this uh, sometimes four steps, but in order to simplify, as pastors normally like to do with their sermons, three parts. Uh, I'm using three parts today for this psalm. And Psalm 29 starts like this. And I'm using the English Standard Version uh, to read right now. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Sidion like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in His temple all cry, Glory! The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Once again, this is a beautiful psalm. And there are so many interesting features here that will help us to... I mean, if we understand this passage in its, let's say, original setting when it was first written, it will help us to even... Um, enjoy its message uh, as we try to apply this in, in our lives. So I want to briefly talk about the Canaanite context of this psalm. So we are talking about the land of Canaan. And so when this text was written in ancient Canaan, what is today, let's say, the, the portions of uh, Lebanon and parts of Syria and Israel, not so much Jordan, because it was beyond the river, the, the Jordan River, but especially that territory of Lebanon and what is today Israel. 
and there is uh, a very interesting geography uh, in the psalm, and we are going to cover this quickly. But because we are going to talk about God as, let's say, thunder and moving over many waters, and you, you got the idea of pretty much a storm approaching the land when you, when you read this, these lines, uh, I, I think it is important to read this text against the idea or with the idea of a storm god in the ancient Canaan. As you remember, there is one god that appears throughout, a false god, a pagan god that appears every time in the Old Testament or many times in the Old Testament, and that is Baal. And Baal, or Baal, as we like to Englishize the name, was uh, God responsible for rain, for storms, for dew, and yeah, he was he was the God responsible for the climate, for the weather in ancient Canaan. And so, um, you see this pretty clear in the psalm that we are dealing with the God, now the true God, as a as a weather God, as a storm God, because in verse three it talks about him um, thundering. And the verb there in the Hebrew, ra'am, is, is the word, uh, the verb to thunder. And so you have that, now that idea that you, you are describing. We are seeing a description of God as a weather God, as a storm God. Or at least, because we believe only one God, as that aspect of God responsible for, let's say, uh, the weather. What is intriguing about this, this passage is that uh, let's say almost a hundred years ago, in uh, on the coast of Lebanon or yeah on the coast of the Mediterranean, archaeologists working in a particular village called Ras uh, Ras Shamra is the name of the place, which is the modern name of the ancient city of Ugarit or Ugarit. Uh, several texts were discovered, and it is. Uh, a very rich uh, literature describing the religion of ancient Canaan. And a lot of stories about Baal and about other gods like uh, Asherah and Anat, many of the, the goddesses that the Israelites were worshipping against God's um, will and against God's uh, orders in the Bible. In in one of these passages it, uh, or in this uh um, ancient documents discovered in the city of Rashamada, archaeologists uh, noticed one that echoed parts of this psalm. So all this language of the voice of the Lord, you have uh, a particular text in ancient Ugarit that talks about the voice of Baal. And that is the weird part of what I'm going to describe right now, because it makes sense, let's say, originally, Parts of this psalm, or at, at least the first line of this psalm, 29, was originally uh, to Baal. And we actually hear that in the Hebrew. I'm just going to uh, pronounce the first line of the psalm in Hebrew. In, in English, it's ascribed to the Lord, O heavenly beings. In Hebrew, Havu la Yahweh b'nei Elohim. That is in Hebrew. Uh, acknowledge or ascribe or or come to the Lord, uh, O sons of God. That is the idea. But now let me change. Instead of Yahweh, the name of God, 
the God that we worship, the Lord, uh, I'm going to substitute that for Baal. Notice the difference. Havu la Baal bine Elohim. So you have now Havu Baal bine Elohim. So it, it, it has this B sound repeated three times. Whereas if you have Yahweh, it kind of breaks that. So Havu la Yahweh bine Elohim. So there is something going on with this line, and I kind of agree with the conclusion that originally this was a song performed for the weather god of Canaan, Baal, and our, our psalmist here, uh, David, is, is changing that and attributing to his god, the god of Jerusalem, the god of the Bible. And, you know, that sounds probably not very traditional in our reading of the Bible, but, you know, God meets people where they are. And when God reveals his, uh, his word, he was, um, or encountered the, the people of Israel, he was talking to them not as, let's say, 21st century Southern Californians. Uh, God was talking to people surrounded by Canaanites, Surrounded by this belief about Baal and Asherah and, and all these beliefs and folklore of ancient Canaan. So people knew about those stuff and God is communicating his message uh, through the stories of the Bible with their, let's say, cultural baggage. In fact, I mean, look at the examples that we have in the Bible. All this language about sacrifice about, let's say, blessings and curses and stuff that you read in the biblical text that doesn't make sense for us today, 21st century, uh, 2024, but it was part of their, let's say, bread and butter. I mean, people were thinking those terms all the time. So what we have in the Bible is God meeting real people in their real worlds. And that is something that we typically don't think about when we are reading the Bible. But so, having this understanding that um, David is appropriating, and we kind of, I'm, I'm not a musical person, um, and, but I think we have a few examples in our own hymnal, let's say, of secular music, let's say of the 17th century um, or 18th century, that was turning to hymns, uh, or the, at least the melody was used, uh, and now the lyrics are, let's say, a Christian hymn. So imagine something like that taking place in ancient, in ancient Israel with David, uh, finding this uh, hymn to Baal, the storm god, or parts of it, and now changing the lyrics and praising his god. And I think it is appropriate to think in those terms because later in the biblical story, you have, for example, a major spiritual battle between, between uh, the God of the Bible, Yahweh, and uh, you also have their uh, Baal. Uh, and I'm, of course, referring to the story in 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, the story of Elisha, or Elijah, I'm sorry, I always get confused with those names. Elijah and the 400 prophets of Baal, 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 of Baal's wife or consort called Asherah. But anyway, that is beyond the point. Um, the, the issue is 
there was a major a major battle between these two deities in the minds of the ancient uh, Israelites. That's because Baal controlled the weather and people needed water like we do here in Southern California. And so they were always going to the God responsible for sending the rain and uh, precipitation and so on. Let me briefly talk about the geography of that psalm. And you have, for example, uh, a movement uh, that culminates, that starts in the Mediterranean Sea and culminates uh, uh, with the enthronement of God. And so, for example, in verse 3, the text says that Yahweh, the God, uh, the Lord, is over mighty waters. And so he is on the ocean, and he is uh, mighty waters. Here is a reference to the waters of the Mediterranean. In verse 5, it says that uh, the voice of the Lord is not now over mighty waters, but is shattering the cedars of Lebanon. So let's say it is now inland, so enter the continent. And in verse 6 is even describing the power of this voice, making uh, Lebanon skip like a calf. So it is uh, now Yahweh is not only on move, it was not simply in the ocean, but moved inland. And in verse uh, 8, the voice of the Lord causes the desert of Kadesh to writhe uh, or to dry. And so here we have a debate, um, what exactly is being described. If it is, we have two, at least two places called Kadesh in the Bible. One all the way up in the north, uh, let's say in close to Lebanon, and one in the south where the Israelites actually camped, uh, Kadesh Barnea. You probably remember that place uh, when the, the Israelites were wandering the wilderness. Is on the border between Israel and Egypt today. I think it is on the Egyptian side today, but um, it is all the way in the south. This Kadesh, it makes sense to be up north near Lebanon. We actually know of a major battle between uh, an Egyptian pharaoh called Ramesses II and a group of um, people from Turkey, the Hittites, and the battle was in Kadesh. It was probably the, the first major world war uh, uh, in ancient history. So many armies involved, I think 16. And so it took place in that place called Kadesh. But the, the interesting point for us here is that so God is like a storm, moving from the Mediterranean and going through Lebanon, going through Sidion is the name of the, um, the Mount Hermon, which is a major, major mountain over there uh, between, let's say, right on the border between Israel, Syria, and Lebanon. And it, it then shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. So it's up there in the north. And then... The text simply says that the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. And let's uh, talk a few moments about this language of uh, God being enthroned or sitting um, uh, over the flood. There, there are a few things to consider here. First of all, this language of God enthroned. Notice that it is the the... The movement of this storm didn't reach Jerusalem, where God 
was enthroned. Uh, the Jerusalem temple, of course, in the time of David, was uh, there was no temple built for, for, for God, for Yahweh. But the, the ark was there in the time of David, right? So you could expect that God will finally reach his residence in Jerusalem in this psalm. But no, it is uh, stayed up in the north. So it is, let's say, kind of uh, polemic in the sense that God is trying to show himself as he is the one that controls the weather, uh, not Baal that was worshiping that territory, right, in the, in the land of uh, Lebanon. By the way, uh, a little side note here. If you remember the story of Elijah and the uh, widow of Zarepta, uh, Zarepta is on the in, in Lebanon, in let's say Baal's uh, backyard, and it is beautiful to see a widow in Baal's backyard recognizing Yahweh, the God of Elijah, uh, at the time when all of Israel, the Northern Kingdom, um, the people of God was worshiping Baal. So the whole incident of the prophets of Baal and, and Elijah in 1 Kings 8, 18 demonstrates that clearly. In the time that the God of the God of Israel was being forsaken by the Israelites, it is at the same it is it is the same time when uh, a woman, a, a poor widow of the city of Zarepta, uh, possibly a Baal worshiper at some point in her life, recognized the power of Elijah's God. So that tells you a lot about how, let's say, uh, being part of God's people, either today as a Christian or in ancient times as, as an Israelite, uh, didn't mean necessarily faithfulness to the God, uh, creator of heaven and earth. But anyway, so going back to the whole uh, issue here of uh, sitting enthroned, that language of enthronement, is, is particularly important in this psalm, and it says that God is enthroned over the flood, over the flood. There is one specific word in Hebrew for flood, and the flood here is that same, let's say, flood that you see in Genesis 6 through 9, uh, chaotic waters, destructive waters, and the word that is mabul, both in the Genesis story and in this passage right now. And I think the word occurs either 28 or 29 times in the entire Bible. And this passage, Psalm 29, verse 10, is the only one that is not related to, let's say, the flood of Genesis 6 through 9. The, the, here the word simply means uh, destructive waters, chaotic waters. And now the text is describing God as this kind of, storm moving from the Mediterranean, passing through all those places that the text lists, and he is enthroned, he is above, he is riding uh, the flood, the forces of chaos. And if you uh, were around for a few of my sermons uh, in the past, you probably heard me uh, talking about this idea of God being the one who defeats chaos and establishes order. And I think that is exactly what the text is presenting. Uh, God is the one who faces chaos 
and subdues chaos and establishes order. The God of the Bible is far, far from being negligent or passive uh, when seeing chaos. He, he is the one who controls it. So this is, let's say, all that um, initial part of our study when we talk about the text in its original context. And I just want to close this initial part of my, of my study saying, you know, in ancient Canaan, there was one God responsible for that, uh, controlling the forces of chaos, uh, establishing order, that was Baal. And now we hear in this psalm that, no, it was not Baal, it, it, is, it is Yahweh, it is the Lord. And for us today, maybe we have different ways to approach or to see God and we see God as a friend, we see God as, as a father, and all these ideas are, are, are great. They, they, they function well with the biblical portrait of God. But I like this idea of God being the one who set things in order, who put everything in order, who controls chaos and establishes order. And, you know, there is a lot of chaos out there. Uh, war, the economy, uh, politics, and our neighborhood, and maybe um, family family ties are in, in chaotic state. We have a God who controls the flood, who, con who controls the mapul, who controls the, the chaos. And he, he has that power, and we should recognize that in our daily lives as we face situations that are above our control, are way out of our control, and we just please pray for him saying, Lord, take over. I, I reached my, my limit. I don't know what to do any longer. You are the one who is a specialist in controlling the chaotic waters. So when we talk about the Lord reigning, uh, uh, reigning as as uh, as a, a ruler. I mean, we can talk about uh, the let's say royal titles of God and and the representations of God uh, sitting on His throne in the Bible. We can talk about all that, but at the end of the day, for us, what what really matters is uh, allowing Him to rule uh, over our lives. Uh, controlling the chaos that we experience on a daily basis and, and experiencing uh, the order that he is offering uh, to us. So this is the application of the psalm. And how do we pray this psalm? I'll just reiterate exactly what I said. Uh, bringing our chaotic lives before the throne of God every day, our, our chaotic problems, and asking God, to take care of them, to establish order in our lives, in our in the lives of our family members, in our church, uh, in this world. So that's that's the message of Psalm 29 uh, for for us to ponder. And I'll see you in the next episode when we are going to cover uh, Psalm 91, another beloved psalm. Many thanks for for being here with us.